0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Ohio Valley Athletics Podcast. This is episode number, Sean, is this 10? 10. We're in double digits now. I want to thank Ohio Valley Nutrition, based out of St. Clairsville, for sponsoring this podcast and episode. Great people, great folks, very knowledgeable. Please go see them for all your supplement and nutrition needs in the Ohio Valley. And let them know that uh, you heard about them from this podcast as well. They might have something special for you. Sean and I, we're excited for for this podcast. Sean, thanks for coordinating our special guest for this podcast. Um, It is my pleasure to introduce head coach at Oak Glen High School, Ted Arnault. Coach, we were talking right before this podcast, right before we started recording, and a lot of people might not know about this with you. I didn't until uh, yesterday when I was doing a little bit of research. You're not an Ohio Valley guy. Talk to, talk to everyone of how you found the Ohio Valley. And I'm really kind of curious to hear your take on uh, what you think of OVAC in Ohio Valley football.
1: Well, I don't know if I'd say I'm not an Ohio Valley guy. I've always been an Ohio Valley guy, but I was born and raised in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I went to high school there. Um, I actually went down to Worcester and played a, a couple of years there uh, at the College of Worcester and transferred back to University of Michigan, graduated from there. Uh, and ended up coming here. Um, My dad had worked in the area, uh, and as a child, I came to visit quite a bit, um, and I got a chance to hang out with people and got to know people from the area and, um, you know, people that were connected to sports, you know, the most notably being um, Nick Busick, who I thought was just such an outstanding guy. Yeah, Uh, He's a guy that worked with my dad, and um, he really showed me around and took me in and you know, worked with me, you know, when I'd come in for the summers and visit and I'd go to football games when I could. I mean, I played football myself up in Michigan and um, but I would still love coming here and, and talking to sports people around here. And I've always respected and loved
0: uh, the sports in the Ohio Valley. So we're obviously real proud about our football in the Ohio Valley, but all throughout Ohio, we're proud about it. But there's some pretty good football up in Michigan. You know, I'm a big Ohio State fan here, so I won't hold that Michigan thing against you but there's some good football up there. I'm kind of curious at how it compares, you know, your experience being there as a, as a student, uh, and as a player and then coming here with a little bit of a different perspective as a coach, what's that like? Sure.
1: I think the biggest difference for me is the school sizes. We had a lot more large schools concentrated where I was, um, you know, but, uh, the quality of football in West Michigan has always been very high. Um, And uh, I've always been proud to come from that area and say that I came from that area because the football was very good. And um, the cool thing about being there is you get crowd sizes in the tens of thousands there. And that was like one of the usual things. Um, What I like more about the Ohio Valley though, is like how passionate everybody is about sports here. You might, you might not have as many large schools in this, you know, tightly packed Ohio Valley area, but the people take their sports very seriously. They have tremendous pride in their programs Um, and being able to be a part of that has just been awesome. And and I love the sports here in the Ohio Valley.
0: Yeah, that's, that's awesome to hear. So you've got an interesting story here over the last couple of years, you've been one of the premier coaches in the Ohio Valley on the football field. It didn't start off that way. And I want, I want to point out the record here. When you took over in 2016 at Oakland high school, uh, in 2016 and 2017, you went two and eight in each of those individual years. And then in 2018, uh, that was the last year before the program really started to take off. You went five and five. Now, after that, you posted the first undefeated in 2019, the first undefeated uh, team that Oakland had ever had. You went 10 and 0 in the regular season. You went all the way to the semifinals. You ended up going 12 and 1 that year. You followed it up in 2020, which was obviously a crazy year. You ended up going eight and two. And then we're sitting here right now early in the season at one and one after you had to deal with uh, a lot of different uh, COVID situations and cancellations. I want to pause where you're at right now. And I want to go back to your first couple of years, two and eight, two and eight, and then five and five. we are I feel like right now we're, we're at a different place. Just, that was just five years ago. But I feel like we're at a different place right now where people are so impatient. And I don't know if, if people, if you went two and eight, two and eight, and then five and five, I feel like people would be calling for you to get fired and they would have missed a very special 12 and one season. Any thoughts on that? And just how Oakland was patient as you were building a program? Um, I, I think as a coach, it kind of makes me reflect,
1: you know, um, on the situation you are as a coach, when the record might not be as good as you'd like it to be. Sometimes those can be your best years of coaching. And, you know, only you know that, you know, only you and your coaching staff really know that um, whether or not, you know, you're seeing progress in the kids that nobody else sees and what you see in film and what you see culturalized, and the looks on their faces when adversity hits and, you know, what is their attitude and, and what, type, what kind of work are they willing to put in. And when you see those types of gains, even those years that it might go two and eight or it might go five and five, like you said. When you see the light in the kid's eyes, like that just lets you know that maybe your record doesn't really tell the whole story of what happened. You know what I mean? And yep. I think that's what's underappreciated is that sometimes as coaches, the record might not reflect maybe what was accomplished or what you feel may have been accomplished during that season. And I really feel that way, especially about our second and third seasons, Um and it was difficult, you know what I mean? Because you have to get, you're not from the area, you know what I mean? You have to get people to buy into you and you have to um, get people to believe in your vision. And, and as a head coach, you have to have a vision and you've got to draw people to your vision. And um, it's a lot harder for people to buy your vision when they're not seeing results on the field.
0: Can, can you pull back the curtain a little bit and kind of like walk us into that? You know, you, you go in there and you, you obviously want to instill your own culture, you know, your own philosophies, your own system your own offense, defense, you're, you're looking for uh, some assistant coaches. Walk us through, like, what what was the most important thing? Where did you start? What was your big rocks that you wanted to move first?
1: Um, it, the first thing I wanted to do, and, and oftentimes a team will reflect the values or the work ethic of the head coach and the personality maybe even of the head coach. Um, and that's the first thing that I really set the task on is, you know, Letting the kids know this is what we expect at off-season workouts, letting them know this is how I expect you to treat each other in the locker room, letting you know, letting them know this is what I expect you to do accomplish in the classroom and, and um, you know, how to handle winning and how to handle losing, you know, and, and handle adversity. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that you have to set out on if you have a vision to accomplish something is lead by example that way and, and work on those little things that are going to ultimately add up to a big difference. And to me, that's what is, it makes the biggest impact is that cultural element Um, because the cultural element breeds everything else. And then once um, the kids buy into that culture element, then everything follows. And it's not always, it's not always going to come right away. It's going to be a struggle sometimes. It's going to take months, maybe years. Um, And when it happens, it's, it's just a glorious thing. You know, it's just a wonderful thing to see.
0: Yeah. I, i you know, we can see each other right now. Our listeners, they don't get to see the, the audio and uh, you're, you're almost like lighting up walking, you know, going down that memory lane. It's cool to see. So things really start to click for you in 2019. Again, you go 10 and 0 first time that Oakland has ever done that on the football field, deep run in the playoffs. Um, you, you try to carry that momentum into the next year and then boom, it, it's hard to believe that we're going into our second year of this. Um, but, you, you know, you, you have that great momentum and you're actually still able to maintain it. Uh, you had a pretty good year in 2020 with all the circumstances, uh, eight and two. Again, you end up going into into playoffs there. Uh, and then this year, um, tough. You know, you've had a couple cancellations. There's been there's been about five schools in the Ohio Valley that have felt the restrictions and just the whole COVID uh, protocols worse than other schools. And you're absolutely one of those five. Before before I ask uh, just specific questions to that, I heard that you guys had a pretty cool record. Uh, unfortunately, it got broken last week, but I heard you guys had a pretty cool record uh, for the longest home winning streak in the state of West Virginia up until last week.
1: Yeah, I mean, for, uh, the last time we had lost at home was 2018 um, against Beaver Local, actually. And, um, you know, we all of our defeats happened happen to be on the road, Um and uh, all of our, our playoff games last year were on the road as well, up until uh, the what should have been the semifinal game. Um, and we lost another chance at a home game there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been special to see, like, the kids play in front of their home field, in front of their community, and, like, like see the community buy into the football players and um, just be proud to be there. There's a lot of proud fans in Oakland, and, and it's, it's fun to see them at the games enjoying themselves um, it's a great atmosphere. And uh, it, it was a special thing to accomplish that. You know, our kids really did a great job defending our house.
0: You know, Coach, I've never been to a football game at Oak Glen, and I'm really starting to feel like I'm missing out right now. I need to go there. It, yeah. Like- it,
1: it, the best games are the Saturday afternoon games, I feel like, because the sun's out, it's a clear sky, uh, the, the stadium just lights up, and you have that, like, you know, um, panoramic background, and, you know, nature's around you. You're kind of in a bowl, and, you really feel like you're in a bear's den.
0: That's the coolest thing about it. Sean, I assume you've been to some games down there, right?
1: I have. I
2: haven't been to the new one, and I mean, everything I see from that. I mean, you know, they got the they got the cage that they let the guys out of. You know, before the games. I mean, it's just it, he's right. It looks electric. And Ted, I, I'm I'm interested. We we talked a little bit there about culture. How important, especially last year, when you got a chance at a, a semifinal final birth again, taken away from you by COVID. And now you've you've had several games uh, taken away from you by COVID this year. How important has that culture been? And how have you been able to keep these kids motivated and ready when they don't know from week to week that they're even going to get a chance?
0: Yeah,
1: it, it starts with me. And I, I, I can't lie. Uh, you know, when you have... Four of your last six games, and going into last year, literally four of our last six games canceled. Um, it takes a toll on you first, you know what I mean, and you've got to you've got to be aware of how it affects you and your and then your staff, you know what I mean, and um, because you have to project that positivity to the kids and let them know, you know, no matter what, if we get a chance to get out there and work, we're going to take every opportunity that we can. But I can't lie, Sean, it it, it has affected me. It's affected me a lot. Uh, especially when you find out a game is canceled, you know, after an entire week of preparation, because you put your whole soul into a week of preparation and, you know, p- coaches are away from their families. They're away from home on those Sunday meetings and you spend all week and the kids prepare. And it's always great to be a practice. I always appreciate practice time and practice time is special to me too. Um, but you want to be able to compete. You want the kids to be able to compete win or lose, um, you know, and that's four out of the last six games that have ended in, you know, a, a termination or a postponement of the game because of COVID and it wears on you, man. It, it's tough. And you have to be aware of how that affects you so that you don't bring that to the kids. You know what I mean? You have to keep building the kids up and you've got to show the kids almost like you're impregnable. You know what I mean? You're, uh, that's kind of a Mike Tyson word. I don't know what I was trying to say, but that you're, <laughs> you're, in, you're impregnable. Is that what you would say? You're, you're, yeah. you're, yeah, you can't let the circumstances penetrate your stoic nature. And, um, you have to be aware of that first, because if what you, what you wear to practice, what you wear to games, the kids reflect. And that's ultimately what I feel like as a coach, you have to be able to do is no matter what the circumstances, you got to be able to go in every week and prepare like you mean it. And with all your heart.
2: Let's let's take, take us back to last year. Um, And and several local teams had their seasons in this way, but for you guys, um, how did you deal with the fact that, you know, you had a chance at playing at Wheeling Island Stadium uh, taken away. Uh, Unless your name's Wheeling Central, you know, it it takes a special group around here to get that chance. They don't come around often. Um, Whenever you had to go in and tell your kids that you're not going to get that chance, it had to just cut you pretty deep.
1: Yeah. I mean, the way it happened for us is uh, we had practiced all week. Uh, And the the game had been delayed to Sunday because that's what they were doing. They're delaying the games to Sunday if if a particular county didn't make the map that week. So we practiced all the way through Saturday from from Monday through Saturday. And I scheduled a nighttime practice on Saturday. And I knew when I scheduled that nighttime practice, it was either going to be a practice under the lights that's a walkthrough or an equipment turn in. And that night before was awful it was absolutely awful because I knew that, I mean, everything's up to this chance of this COVID map that, you know, that what state of West Virginia has lived or died by. um, And it all depends on Hancock County and Harrison County. And then I think what really killed me is I looked at the map and I said, we made it, we're gold. You know what I mean? Like right before uh, the practice began, but then I looked at Harrison County and I saw their orange and I'm like, wow, they didn't make it. So we have to forfeit to them. Um, And uh, it was an awful feeling. And, you know, Sometimes you want these state officials and these people that make these decisions, these arbitrary decisions, to come in and tell the kids themselves why it is they're not going to get to play on the next day because, I mean, the heartbreak is awful to look at. And, you know, they were crushed. You know, but at the same time, it's my responsibility as a coach to get them to look at it in perspective and the perspective of life. And, you know, we built a lot of great memories here and we we did it together, so.
0: Coach, I take my my hat off to you. You know, there's. You said it's about perspective, and and I'll take that into COVID, and in that everyone has a different perspective of this, and I try to be sensitive because everybody's felt it differently. How having said that, it, it really gets under my skin when when we're talking about sports, high school sports specifically, and and you throw COVID into that, and somebody says something to the nature of. It's just sports. Um, When I can say firsthand that football specifically, if it weren't for football, I probably wouldn't have graduated high school. I probably would have got kicked out of school for being truant. I went to school because I knew I had to go to class and I knew I had to get good enough grades to play football. And I can say without a doubt, I would not have went to college if it wasn't for the opportunity to be on West Liberty's team. I say be on their team's I didn't really play, but I wouldn't even have went up there if I didn't have the opportunity to play. And then thankfully, I took advantage of that opportunity when I was up there. Had this happened, this COVID, had, had I been a junior or senior last year, it would have changed the trajectory of my life. would have changed the trajectory of my life. Have it with that little note there, any thoughts there on what I just said?
1: I I think, and I I feel what you said profoundly. Um, And uh, I think the biggest thing that you have to tell the kids is don't be afraid because of this situation, not to put your whole heart into something, because that's what I fear with the kids is. You know, with anything, it's so hard with this generation specifically to commit to something, a cause bigger than themselves. And um, I I didn't want this experience to taint them. Um, That if you put your whole self, your whole heart into something, it could just be taken away from you. So you shouldn't try. You shouldn't try to do these things. You shouldn't put your whole heart into something. And that's my biggest fear with these kids, because football is a life changing experience and you only get it once. Um, you know, a lucky 6% get to carry it on to college. Um, But for this many kids, this is it. And this is what this period of their life is for. And it's, it's, um, it's life-changing. It's a catalyst for adulthood. It's a catalyst for what comes next. It's not your whole life. You know what I mean? But it, it's a catalyst in an important moment. And um, I want to make sure that in these circumstances that for our kids that have been been affected by the, the effects of COVID that um, it becomes a life-changing experience in a positive way that even though something bad happened to me, I'm not going to let it get to me. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to be afraid to put my heart into something because um, of, of something that happened out of my
0: control. You know, I, I want to dive in that a little bit deeper. I mean, that, that you made it sound easy and, and it, it can't be that easy. I'm, I'm trying to roll myself back to a high school student and I'm going through this right now. I, I didn't realize you're still you're still able to do practice. So you are able to still get the kids on the field. That's great. However, now I'm I'm putting myself as a knucklehead, you know, 16 17-year-old knucklehead. If I knew that that we weren't going to be able to play, my attitude would have been all over the place because I would have been thinking if I can't get on the field, uh, who's going to know that that I'm any good at this game? You can only hit hit your best friend, your classmate so many times on the football field before it gets before it gets stale. You know, I need to go hit somebody else. How are you keeping these kids motivated?
1: Well, it, it's a challenge because the, the kids have put a lot of effort and energy into what we're doing and it, it's, it's them that we're here. And, and to see them get frustrated is frustrating for me. Um, and uh, the old saying goes, idle hands with the devil's workshop. When they're not playing football, I see dramatic changes in their personality and their behavior. Um, when they are playing football, they are invested in something they are working towards something. And, and like you said, this, this thing that we're doing is part of the hidden curriculum that I think makes a complete education, um, something worthwhile for them. And and like you said, if they're not doing this, you know, how are they spending their time and what are they putting their energy into Um, and I can tell you without disclosing too much. I had a discipline issue I had to deal with for the Point Pleasant game and five kids weren't able to play. And I believe that part of that is because their energy wasn't able to be put into something that's positive. And like I said, idle Idle hands can be the devil's workshop. And um, I, I see the impact that not having something to work towards has on our kids. And that's something I worry about. I want them to have a purpose. I want them to work towards something and have their energy focused on something positive. When people say things like it's just sports and it's
2: not that big of a deal, I I think they do so under the assumption that everybody comes from the same background. Everybody has the same home life. For some people, and I know a bunch of them, you know, I coach at the youth level. I can tell whenever kids walk in that first day who comes from a good home and who doesn't some of these kids the only thing that they feel a part of is being taken away right now and it is hard enough being a teenager as it is especially these days with things that are going on and and depression and those things and then on top of that you add the only only thing that you feel a part of the only family that you have that gets
1: taken away couldn't imagine I think for us, and that's where I feel the responsibility of a coach comes in, you have to build a relationship with the kids that goes beyond football. And you have to provide perspective from them, for them, an adult perspective that even in these situations where the football team can't practice and play together, we're still here for each other. And I think that's where football goes above and beyond is, um, it really fosters those relationships between player and player, coach and player that we're here for each other. And that when we're going through this stuff together, you know, we speak our minds and we talk about how it's making us feel and how it's affecting us. And um, I I try to be as open with the kids as I possibly can be, you know, so they'll do the same with me. Um, and, And we express how this is making us feel and the frustration is a big part of it. But also like you said, for many of these kids, this experience is fundamental to their their safety and their foundation. You know their their um, stability, and I think it's important in those situations as a coach. You have to know who the, those kids are, and especially reach out to them. Not only when there's a crisis going on, but also when day to day life goes on, you reach out to them. You say, "How you doing? <laughs> how how are things going? How are you handling this? You know, how are things at home? You know what I mean? You talk to them about that stuff. And I think when you do that. Uh, you build a connection that can that can last through these momentary storms of instability.
0: Coach, you've got my respect. You, you absolutely do. And through locally. And then if you even look at college football, there's been a huge difference in the way some coaches and programs have handled the, the last two years. Um, I'll keep local schools out of it for, with respect to to what to what our, our coaches do. We'll look at a, at a college program. Penn State last year, they went four and five. Uh, if my memory is right, I think at one point they're like zero and four and they made a late season run. They virtually returned their entire team and they're four and 0, ranked. I think fourth in the country right now. Um, and the team they had last year, it wasn't a brand new team. Their, their, their quarterback's been starting for a couple of years now. I feel like he's been there for seven years. Uh, just joking. But I, think, I think he started his sophomore year and I think he's a, a junior senior now, but they virtually had a, the same team last year and they struggled. Um, I think that's an example of a program that probably didn't handle everything last year as good as some other programs did. You know, to, so to see you carry that momentum from 2019 into last year, um, you absolutely got my respect. And I don't want I don't want any of our listeners to be confused. I'm not necessarily talking about wins on the football field. To get those wins, that is the body of work of everything else you did. Um, all the soft skills that you just talked about of checking in with your players. How are you doing? Keeping them motivated, keeping them driven. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so much more than just a game, isn't it?
1: It's, it, it is. And, and that's my view on it. Um, and I know not everybody feels that way. Certainly, if you talk to fellow educators, not many people view it that way. Um, but the ones that do, you know, they understand. And if you've done it, then you understand. And the people that haven't might not understand. And that's okay. Um, it's not going to affect what I do.
0: So, Coach, you're down three games this year, right?
1: We, we've played two games. One's a win, one's a loss.
0: You, and you should have had – you've had three games that were, that were canceled, correct?
1: Three games canceled, yes.
0: But your kids haven't got to really get, get much media time, much press time. Who do you want to brag on right now on your team? Who, who, who do you have rocking it that we haven't got to enjoy?
1: Oh, gosh. I mean, um, I, I couldn't stop talking about, uh, first off, I'll start with Dylan Conley, number 36. Um, we put him at quarterback this year, and he succeeds Nick Cheney, who had a pretty prolific career. Um, a lot of people don't know just how many passing yards he has. He actually is on, Nick was on the record list for the OVAC, um, I believe, between Jose and Nate Davis actually brought up Jose earlier. He's right in between those two. Um, So to to follow up that act is tough. And um, Dylan's one of those kids. He's an athlete and he um, is a program kid that bought into the weight room. He was 119 pound freshman. That's now 185 pound senior. And he put the work in and he's just an incredible kid and a great athlete. Um, And he's one of the seniors, you know, I, I would love to brag about and talk about um, And uh, I've got a very talented senior class that really played understudy to a very talented group last year, um, you know, between Ethan Lively, who's really stepped up this year. Um, Colton Goodland is somebody that I think the Valley should know about. Um, he's a fullback slash outside linebacker that I think will really impress people once he gets a chance to be on the field. He's only got a chance to play in the weird game. Um, and he had a great outing there. Buck Franklin, he's our fastest kid. He's another kid I think could really impress people. And you're right, I've got some kids that could really stick out on film if, if we can get some film with them and get it to some college coaches because I think we've got some kids that can play at the next level.
0: Coach, you've done this for 55 games as the head man. Is there a game, a play, a moment that sticks out to you, whether whether it's a good one or one that haunts you? Is there something that sticks out to you?
1: I could say – can I say two? Is that okay? I think the first play that sticks out to me, just because it's ingrained in everybody's memory, is that play against Boca. I knew it. Um, <laughs> and uh, I guess what gets me with that is um, it was one of those bang bang type plays. That it was actually a buck sweep pass, um, where the halfback is actually Hunter Patterson that threw the pass, and it uh, bounced off one of our kids' hands and landed in the other. And then after, you know, he had it in his hand for a split second, the poker defender knocked it out. And um, it was all over social media, like, you know, that this play, you know, like it, it was the deciding factor of the game. And, you know, yeah, the poker people all riled up. I think it actually made Center. Actually, it was one of those plays that just like everybody was talking about. And actually it made all the WTOV9 highlights everything. Uh, but what a lot of people don't realize is that that was a third quarter play. And um, yeah, it was it was an important play because we scored on it. You know what I mean. But at the same time, um, we had a fourth quarter where we actually drove down the field and kept the ball out of poker's hands, which probably saved their lives because they had the Kennedy Award winner back there. (laughs) You know what I mean. So um, yeah, it was an instrumental big play, and I think a lot of people, you know, made it out to be like the play that made all the difference in the game. It made a big difference, but. Um, I, that one just sticks out of my mind just because of the controversy that came behind that, that pass play that, uh, you know, Toby Payne broke up and, you know, they gave it to us cause they said he had possession of it for a split second. And according to NFHS rules, if you have possession of the ball, even if it's for a split second, they're going to roll it a touchdown. So that one sticks out of my mind. Um, I suppose the other one, I guess one I regret, um, <laughs> I should have faked a field goal against Wheeling Park last year. <laughs> we were in a really tight, close game with them. And uh, one of our kids got injured and I went out of the field and, you know, I'm like attending to this kid and we're getting ready for a fourth down play. And we had a fake field goal drawn up and we practiced it all week in practice. And we decided, all right, we're going to try to kick the field goal instead of faking the field goal. And I wish I had called that fake field goal. That still bothers me to this day because uh, that was a really tight, close game, and you know we wanted to win that game. And Park was such a talented team last year; um, we really wanted to step up and win that game. So that one was on me. I should have called the fake field. I
0: appreciate that humility. That's one of those plays where if it doesn't work, then you know you you. I should have taken
1: a shot. I can live with it. You know what I mean? I can live with yeah. taking the shot if it doesn't work out, but. You yeah. always regret the things that you didn't do more than the things you did. You know what I mean, in my opinion? And that's something I regret that I didn't do. I'll turn that around, and I'll say this.
2: With, it, it's no hyperbole whatsoever. I'm sitting here listening to you talk, Ted. And We live probably an hour, hour and a half apart. But I want my kids five years to come play for you. I, I appreciate that. We'll send you
0: them up. You, you send carry him yourself.
1: We'll deck them out in gear, trust me. So, well,
2: Hey, listen, we already drive there every week for softball. So bring them up, man. We'll, we'll, We'll do some
1: drills with them. We'll get them coached
0: up. Coach. We're going to talk a little bit about, uh, about some local games and some college. You want to stick around with us? Sure.
1: Yeah.
0: So before I jump into local college, knowing that you're a Michigan guy, you are a Michigan grad. I want to touch on that program for a minute, uh, head, head coach specifically. So, a lot of people feel like people fans media they feel like this is Jim Harbaugh's year where if he does not beat Ohio State that that would that would make his seat go from hot to on fire and he may lose his job I want to get your thoughts on that should 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 Jim Harbaugh's career and his job be put on that rivalry game
1: i think michigan at least in the last 20 years, or at least since Lloyd Carr has left, we've played the grass is always greener scenario. And I, I always am hesitant to play the grass is always greener scenario because for the longest time, you know, Michigan fans talked about they want a Michigan guy back or they want a guy that is going to coach Michigan-style football. And, you know, when they brought on Rich Rodriguez, it wasn't a good fit because just the way he coached and the way his style of offense and defense and the way he ran the program wasn't – what Michigan was looking for. I thought great for West Virginia and a lot of people gave him, you know, him a hard time and kind of ran him out and the same thing happened with Brady Hoke who had a lot of success at, I think it was San Diego state or was it San Jose state. Uh, but he had a lot of success there. And, you know, obviously it didn't work out for him. Jim Harbaugh is supposed to be the Michigan man. You know what I mean? He's supposed to be the guy that, you know, brought us back to the glory days, but I'm always hesitant of the idea of the glory days and, you know, being hung up on what was because, The era of college football changes as the decades roll by. Look at where Miami is. Miami, Florida is a program now. Um, You could end up there. You could end up in a place where you really don't want to be. And uh, to me, Michigan is such a proud program with the ability to recruit kids from all over the country. Um, I think Jim Harbaugh is a great recruiter. I think you can say whatever you want about him. He's somebody that's a great face for Michigan football. And I would be hesitant to part ways with him. And I know the pressure is high, especially to beat Michigan State and Ohio State, because it tends to be at Michigan these days. It doesn't matter who you beat. If you don't beat those two, you're in deep trouble. (laughs) And I understand it because people, those are bragging rights games. Those are the games that when you go to work and you deal with your friends for an entire year, and I understand because half the friends I went to high school with are Michigan State people. I get it. I understand. Um, But I think you have to look at the success of the program as a whole. And I think Jim is invested into Michigan football and You know, I I think if it's a mutual decision and they decide decide to part ways based on um, how things go this year, then that might be the way to go. But um, I I think the coach knows where the chemistry is, and I think he'll be able to feel when the right time to go is. And I'm sure if he did go, he'd have opportunities wherever he would decide to go. I'm sure there's NFL teams that would love to bring him back. I'm sure that there's other colleges um, you know, back out in California that would love to bring him back. I don't think his career ends. So I think Michigan needs to think about that. You know what? What is the grass really greener for, you know, Michigan's football future?
0: I can't imagine being in a, in a, at, a at a school or a position where you go eleven and one or ten and two, and you're you're a failure. <laughs> Unbelievable that pressure. Now on the flip side, that's that's what that's what makes those programs elite, right? Mm-hmm. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. Uh, Penn State, Michigan—they don't expect to lose, um, but at the same time, I think that's dangerous territory. Like, what what kind of example are you setting to kids that if if you fail once, you're fired; if you fail once, game over. Yeah. Um, a huge Ohio State fan here, but I'm also a Big Ten fan, and it, it it drives me nuts when I'm talking to another Ohio State fan and they want to see Jim Harbaugh get fired, and I make the argument that. Jim Harbaugh makes the Big Ten competitive. You said it earlier, he's a great recruiter, and he is. The the recruiting classes he brings in shows that. He's in the top 20, 25, top 15, top 10 every year, according to ESPN's rankings. That helps helps every school. If you're recruiting at Penn State and you say, hey, why do you want to come to Penn State? Because we get to play Ohio State. We get to play Michigan. We get to play Michigan State. And it's going to be on ESPN primetime. It helps the whole Big Ten. If if Jim Harbaugh gets fired and they bring in, I don't care who they bring in. If the name's not Urban Meyer, they're not going to have the star power that he's going to have. So they bring in another head coach. You just lost something in the Big Ten. You're gonna you're gonna lose recruits, and a lot of people don't don't see it that way. Does that make sense to you?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think, that, like I said, with the grass is always greener scenario, your program could go down. Your program yep. could be um, could suffer the consequences of collateral damage by trying to fix the problem you make it worse so I, I think you know michigan and that's why you have athletic directors and you have um board members that are invested into the school that can look at it from a perspective of is the program going in the direction that we'd like it to are we satisfied and can we continue with the path that we're on and i think i trust them to make that decision and you know michigan will always be a school about academics in addition to athletics and. I know that's going to be a consideration, his attitude towards academics and um, what kind of recruits he's bringing in, what kind of potential they have. And I think that's going to be something they look at at Michigan, too, because that's the Michigan way. Um, Notre Dame has the same problem. When you, when you bring kids in, you know, academics can filter some of those kids out that you might lose in that process. But if you really care about that identity of being that type of school, then you have to maintain that identity and live through some of the... The, the bumps and bruises that come with that.
0: So since I already said Ohio State, just to touch on them for a second, they were able to pull out uh, first half, very explosive offense. And then they just kind of put the, uh, they just kind of coasted in the second half. Uh, got, got a lot of people playing time in the second half. It was a tune-up game. And I think they did exactly that in that tune-up game. Uh, they're going to face a Rutgers team this Saturday. Rutgers just had their first loss of the year to Michigan. That Rutgers team, they're going to be extra motivated. They think they're pretty good. Uh, they just lost their first game. And their head coach, Greg Sciano, was Ohio State's defensive coordinator. I absolutely think that he's going to want to make his mark and prove something uh, when they face next week. So that's going to be an interesting game. Moving on to WVU, we talked about this game last week, and Sean kind of gave the eye roll and said it's not even going to be the game. WVU is going to get blown out. Oklahoma, just give them – they put them in the championship game right now with Alabama. Uh, but boy, that was a game. So my question is, is Oklahoma overrated or are the Mountaineers, are, are they on the up and up?
1: I think West Virginia has the potential to be very good. Um, they've got to solve their quarterback situation. And um, I think that's something that you have to let play out as the year goes on. But I think the game demonstrates that West Virginia has the potential to be pretty good. And um, they're able to compete with a pretty good, what I also think was a pretty good football team. Um, And you have to give them time to feel things out this year. Um, I don't think they're done yet. I don't think you've heard the last of them. Um, And I think they're going to be exciting to watch. And I think um, just the fact that they're competing in a a conference that has good football teams in it, um, I, I think that's exciting for West Virginia football. I think it's somewhere in
2: between. I, th- I think it's Oklahoma is maybe a little bit overrated. They keep waiting for that offense with Spencer Rattler to get going. And it just, it doesn't look very good to be honest with you. And, and WVU maybe being a little bit underrated and, and coach talked about it. They've, they've got to get the the quarterback situation figured out. Unfortunately, I don't think the answer is in that quarterback room right now. I, I, I think he's a year away, Um if, if he stays committed, but, you know, it, let's say you go to Garrett Green full-time, your offense completely changes, and I, I don't know that they have the, the correct personnel to run that offense. Um, the problem with with Daggy is, uh, and, and listen, I, I'm no quarterback guru, I'm no football guru, but what I see with my own two eyes is he's a pre-snap read guy and post-snap he's going to that pre-snap read come hell or high water that's where the ball is going he never looks off a, a defender and it's just the decision making he'll he'll come up with a decision that just once makes you want to pull your hair out um and and they're killers they're drive killers they're they're game killers last week they're, they're down there looking uh for a winning field goal at least to go up 16 13 themselves and he's not the center caught all the crap for it but the the quarterback just wasn't paying attention to the snap, and it's a 21 yard loss oklahoma goes all the way down the field kicks the winning field goal i i don't like i don't like bashing on what i consider kids but he's just not good enough to play at, at this level uh if you want to be a top tier program. And it's sad to say that, but that that kind of brings me to another point about bashing what I consider kids. You look at Spencer Rattler, that guy's making $700,000 a year now. That changes. You're making grown man money. You get grown man scrutiny now.
0: It's a fair point. So, I, it was it was fun on Twitter because, you know, I'm seeing all of my W. It was actually fun all weekend because you got you got Ohio State fans that at, at one breath, they act like we're the worst program in the nation. And then after we blow out our tune up game, we're acting like we're ready for the playoffs. And then on WU side, I've got I've got one group of my friends and fans that are like, hey, We we showed up on the national national stage and we didn't let down. And then you got the other group of people that are going, what an embarrassment. We blew our chances. And I tell you, here's where I'm at is if I'm obviously guessing here. Right. I don't know these players. I'm not with them. But if, if you took Oklahoma's players, player for player, every single one of them, and you lined up W players, player for player, every single one of them. Hey, they're all great athletes, but, but Oklahoma is going to be more athletic player for player than every player on W's team, every position, likely. Uh, that's, that's the program they built and the star power they have. We've got Neil Brown, who's in his, uh, this is the start of his third year in the program. He's, he's building it up. So knowing that WVU went into that game with not nearly the athleticism and the manpower that Oklahoma does, I'll tell you what that game did for me. That made me a Neil Brown fan. And I, I'll tell you what, I wasn't a Neil Brown fan before this year. I wasn't giving a fair chance. That game to me showed incredible preparation, incredible motivation. That showed me, without even knowing what he does behind the scenes, that showed me he's doing a lot behind the scenes to get that that those, those players ready. Because they went on that field and they believed and expected to win. And you watch the little things after plays. They celebrate, yeah, but they weren't celebrating like we – we can't believe this is happening for us. They celebrated like this is what we came to do. I saw a different kind of team that I haven't seen from WVU in a long time.
2: You talk about the, the difference in athletic ability. West Virginia in this series has taken far, far more talented, physically talented teams into Norman and gotten their doors blown off. Um, every, every game that they play Oklahoma is a blowout. and That's why I said that because – this isn't as talented a team as they've had in this series. But, I, I, you know, I am a Neil Brown guy. I wasn't – I'll admit I wasn't very thrilled about the hire because I'm like, this guy's playing. He, he doesn't exude a lot of confidence. He doesn't, he doesn't make me believe that he's the answer. And I, I could have been more wrong because he's exactly what this program needed. And I, their slogan is trust the climb. And after this weekend, I, I think I, I trust the climb. I, I think that they are on the right track. I mean, you, you think about the job that that defense did this week, held them to the lowest yardage and point total that they've had since like 2015 or something crazy like that. Okay. On each level of the defense, WVU lost a stud player. You're you're, you're talking about Darius Dill's up front, NFL guy. Mm -hmm. Big 12 defensive player of the year last year. Tony Fields as a linebacker, NFL guy. Tykey Smith, cornerback. Transferred to Georgia, he's going to be an NFL guy. And they still were dominant like that. I mean, every time they showed a replay, I mean, West Virginia was just dominating the line of scrimmage. But of course, having been a WVU fan for all 44 years of my life, I knew as soon as Oklahoma got the ball back, my heart was getting ripped out again because that's what happens when you're a WVU fan. You just, you just got to accept it and move on.
0: Now, Sean, I gave you a hard time earlier. I was right with you. I didn't think WVU stood a chance in this game. Uh, I thought Oklahoma would have their backups in in the third quarter. So I was, I was right with you there, and I was dead wrong. That program showed me a lot. Uh, in the last two weeks with the Virginia Tech win and then and then what they did in Oklahoma. Hey, it doesn't get any easier for them this week. No, they've got Texas Tech. Um, keep me honest, I actually don't know if is that, is that, that's a home game, right? Or are they going back on the road?
2: I believe it's a home game. Um, but Texas Tech's starting quarterback's out with a shoulder, so WVU should win this game.
0: If they play the way they did last week and – Coach, you probably can speak on this better than we can. What a challenge to, to play a game like that where your players are as high as can be and then try to get them to, to, to get that same momentum and intensity the next week. It's going to be challenging for WU.
1: The one thing I can say about Neil Brown is that I do think that, like you said, he is working behind the scenes to build relationships. And I see it with correspondence that he has with people in various communities and the fan base that he's trying to build um, and you see it in clinics that I've been to, um, he really cares about building his kids up and getting them to be able to respond to moments of adversity like this. And I have to think that although they didn't come out top this game, I do believe that w, WVU is going to play confident against Texas. And I, I think that this is something that they're going to be able to use to their advantage because I think they believe they can win.
0: I think he's going to have, <clears throat> excuse me, I think he's going to have a little added motivation because, he was uh, he was the offensive coordinator at Texas Tech and from 2010 to 2012. So there's going to be a little bit added motivation for Neil Brown this Saturday. And other local games uh, from this past weekend and then this coming weekend, both West Liberty and Wheeling University were able to pick up wins this past Saturday. West Liberty picked up a, a win against West Virginia Wesleyan, and Wheeling University picked up a win against Glenville or maybe I have that backwards
2: no that's correct
0: is that correct thank you Sean yeah. what's interesting is this week they flip this week um, they'll flip the schedule West Liberty will pay West Virginia Wesleyan and Wheeling University will play Glenville both two and two on the year and they're both going to be home games. West Liberty is going to kick off at one o'clock. Wheeling University will kick off at two o'clock. Hey, I said a couple episodes ago, we've got a lot of local players. I don't have them in front of me, so I'm going off memory. I think Wheeling University has nine local OVAC players on their roster. West Liberty has 23 OVAC kids on their roster. Six of them are starters between offense and defense Again, what's the real kickoff at one o'clock on the hilltop, Wheeling University at two o'clock? And I don't want to forget our Bethany Bison. Tough start to the season for them. They're 0 4. They will be at home in Bethany playing Carnegie Mellon with a one o'clock kickoff. Hey, before we cut it off here, <sighs> I didn't, I don't want to do it. It's not going to be enjoyable, but boy, we got to talk about our Steelers. So we start off the year 1 and 0. Nobody expected that everybody had us going 0 and 0 and 1 after the Bills game. We looked good in that win, especially defensively. Looked okay offensively, not good in the first half, picked it up in the second half. And it's it's been tough since then. So we we got handed pretty well in the Bengals game and the score probably looked closer than the game actually was. Uh well, 20 24 to 10 I believe was the final score. It wasn't that close. Um the Steelers just couldn't get the offense moving. And, of course, they're, they're hampered with many injuries uh, on both sides of the ball. Offense line was beat up. Uh, receiving core was beat up at the end of the game. I don't know if you guys caught well, – I'm sure you guys caught this, but for our listeners, I don't know if you caught this. At the end of the game, we had Najee Harris lining up receiver, and Ben was literally giving him the route right before the play, telling him what route to run. That's, that's, the, that's where we were at at the end of the game. I'm going to pause here for a second, Sean. I, I, I you're, you're going to get on here. Cause I, 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 I love to hear your thoughts. And I have already saw a lot of them. I want to turn it over to coach coach. I don't even know if you're a Steelers fan. Who do you root for in the NFL?
1: I've always been a Lions fan growing up, but I've, I've always gone to you and enjoyed watching Steelers football. So I do like the Steelers and I watch the Steelers whenever I can
0: coach. I'm, I, I, I appreciate your analysis. I appreciate the way you look at the game. Talk to us about what you're seeing from Pittsburgh.
1: Well, I definitely think you're onto something. I'm glad you said it. And I think there's been a lot of unfair criticism of Ben Roethlisberger on social media. Thank you. And there's, there's this picture of him that they have where he's like, you know, off balance and he's trying to throw into a window. And a lot of people don't show that end zone camera view of what he was trying to do and the way he had to flip his body to try to hit that window. And um, I, I think what you hit the nail on the head when you're receiving core the depth of your receiving core takes a hit. Your timing is off. Everything is off offensively. And I think in the NFL, your timing in that, in in that timing between quarterback and receiver and in your routes and, and knowing where you're going to put the ball and what windows in which situations is so critical. And I definitely think that that really affected the Steelers and their offensive output. And I think Ben's taking some unfair criticism from what I've seen. And I understand he's, he's an older guy now and, He's put his time in, and maybe he's not as as sharp as he used to be. But man, I really feel like uh, you you know if they can if they can fix that depth problem, they have a the receiver that they'll be back to where they were.
0: Yeah, Sean and I are 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 both uh, we're fans, absolutely fans, fans of Big Ben. I, I will I, I am going to share this criticism of Big Ben. And, and he, here's, you know, he's, he's play, big Ben is big Ben. It is who he is, right? He, the way he's played has been the way he's played since year one. He extends the time of a play. Um, you know, as Sean said in the last episode, you know, it's never been pretty. Cause I said, man, he looks slower this year. It's not, it's not, it's ugly. And Sean said, well, it's always been ugly. And he's right. It it's always been ugly, but here's what I want to say to that though, is, you know, I, I think about quarterbacks that have extended their career. And the ones who extended their career and were still able to play at a high level, they altered their game a little bit. We'll go to Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning won a Super Bowl and he couldn't throw the ball. And I'm being literal. He couldn't throw the ball more than 35 yards. He changed the way he ran the offense. Big Ben, I think, needs to do the same thing. Big Ben extends those plays. He gives the receivers more time. He does not have an offensive line that can afford him that time. And the hits he's taking, he's always taking more hits than your average quarterback. But at 39 years old, he's not going to make it through this season if he does not alter the way he plays. Maybe that's throwing more balls out of bounds, throwing them away. Um, maybe that is when the pressure is coming, you pull a Tom Brady and you just fall. But if he can, t- and I don't know at this point if he can reprogram himself. I don't know if he's interested in reprogramming himself. But if, if he continues to play the way he's always played, extending that, 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 that clock, you know, trying to let somebody get open, he's not going to make it the rest of the year unless something happens cohesively with this offensive line. Thoughts there? The
2: problem with that is this. He's getting, the, he's getting rid of it. He doesn't want to do that anymore. He can't do that anymore. He's getting rid of the ball in 2.1 seconds, and he's still laying on his ass after the nine-tenths of the plays until they fix this offensive line and they're not going to this year, we're we're going to be a bad football team. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost comical how bad this offensive line is. People are saying, well, they don't throw the football down the field. You can't throw the football down the field in 2.1 seconds. They're down 24, 10 people are ripping on him because he missed James Washington and what would have been a touchdown. He got hit from both sides. He's got to get rid of the ball quicker than he wants to. It's, Whoa. You got me fired up now, Brian. This was a, this was a good show, and now I'm fired up.
0: <laughs> oh, I want to turn over to Coach for a second. Coach, I don't understand this, and I'm being serious. I do not understand how any team in the NFL can have five guys in the offensive line that were all all state when they played in high school, that were all first conference in college, that were all drafted into the NFL, that all of these guys, if you saw them walk into TJ sports garden, every head would turn and go, who the heck is that, that monster that just walked in? How can you get guys like that that were the man all, you know, on every football field they ever touched, and then, and then we get them in the NFL and, they, and, they, and they, can't, they can't stop somebody? How does that happen?
1: Well, you have to remember what happens on the other side of the ball too is now all of a sudden you've got the elite defensive players that they're going up against. And I can tell you this in college, you're not blocking elite NFL defensive line every single game that you're in. You know what I mean? You get those guys once in a while in a college game. And um, I definitely think that, you you know, maybe we're not giving enough credit to how talented the defensive line is in some of these situations to put the pressure on the line. But the Steelers have to find a run game to support their pass game. And I think when you talk about easing the pressure on Ben and easing the pressure On the pass game and how you know efficient that it has to be the way the Steelers are running it. If they can get a run game going, that would really ease some of that tension. Maybe maybe we change up. If you're the Steelers' offensive coordinator, you change up maybe some of your schemes to allow your offensive line to do what they do best. Maybe if they're not you know great pass blockers, maybe they're good fanners or maybe they're good zone blockers or maybe they're good um, run something else. Run I don't know. Run something that might give your offensive line a better chance of success with the defensive fronts that they're seeing. Here's my thing with
2: that. You you look across at at this past Sunday's opponent. Just this offseason, they put $200 million into their defense. This is the reason that I was upset with the Najee Harris pick. He's He's an unbelievable talent, unbelievable back but look who we're starting up front. It doesn't matter how good your running back is. It doesn't matter how good your quarterback is. It all starts up front. You got a rookie center who's undersized. He really needed a red shirt year so he could bulk up and learn how to play in the NFL. You got one tackle, another tackle who's a rookie. you got another tackle who was injured all last year. It's just, <laughs> we're not spending the money up front And then wondering why the skill guys aren't doing what they're supposed to do. We've gotten on the other side of the ball. We've got nine first round picks on defense. Now a lot of them weren't playing yesterday, but when you, this was, I think the first draft in like eight years or something crazy like that, where we selected an offensive player, eventually the, the players that you have on that offensive side of the ball are going to start aging. You need to have replacements ready. It doesn't have to be, a complete overhaul, but you're, you're sprinkling one guy in here, you're sprinkling another in here. They talk about Ben and not having a replacement for him. They didn't have a replacement for the offensive line either. Juju Smith Schuster wanted to get a free agency. Nobody wanted him. He comes back $8 million. Do we need Juju Smith Schuster to be a number three receiver right now? No, that $8 million would have looked nice on a one-year deal for a starting left tackle. I can tell you that much. fair.
0: That's fair. Curious to get your guys' thoughts on this. This is just an observation. Uh, and it ties in with social media. I saw more than more than one tweet around halftime that said something to the effect of, uh, you know, with Big Ben calling our plays, our offense is never going to get clicking. And here's what I observed. And I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I observed for pretty much three quarters of football, we were huddled up. In fact, we ran, we came out of the I formation about half of our plays. Which, knowing what I've, well, watching what I've watched for you know the last uh, 20 years, Big Ben's not exactly an I formation guy. So I'm hard pressed to believe that Big Ben, Big Ben was calling those plays. Those were more than likely Matt Canada plays, which they should be as he's the offensive coordinator. However, we did see Ben calling the plays in the last five minutes of the game. As we're in a hurry-up offense, and as I referenced earlier, Ben was literally calling the plays, and then he was going over to Najee Harris, telling him what play to run or what route to run. He's also doing that with uh, with um, our tight end. Oh, Gosh, I love the guy, and I, I always butcher his last name. The Friar thank you, Friermuth. He's also telling him what routes to run as well. Um, with that said, it's it's tough. Matt Canada knows more football than I'll he's forgotten more football than I'll ever know. So it's Frank not K. a knock this on him. I, I, so I, I don't want to be the Steeler fan that knocks our offensive coordinator because I feel like we do that with every offense coordinator we ever have. However, I will say this. We moved the ball when Ben was calling the plays. How do we fix this, and why is there always? Why does it seem like there's always tension with our O-season, Ben?
2: Well, I'll tell you why. You look at all – over the course of his career, you look at all the other elite Hall of Fame quarterbacks that played and look at the freedom they were given by their organization. And look at the freedom that he has not been given by his organization. I have no idea why. I don't know if it's a power struggle. I don't know if it's a Rooney thing. You look at it. They, quote, unquote, retired Bruce Arians, who was a good friend with Ben. He
0: yeah. ha-
2: that, that was when he had his, his most control. Every, it's been like this for years, Brian. Anytime the Steelers go to know Huddle and Ben's calling the plays, they go right down the field and they score, but we can't do it. Ben comes out last week and says they only have 12 to 15 plays installed for their no huddle. Are you kidding me? Like you're, you're setting the guy up to
1: fail.
0: Coach turn it over. Keep us, keep these two fans honest. What do you see in there offensively?
1: Well, I I see what you see. There's a little bit of maybe creative differences and styles in the Steelers offense. And I think, I think the Steelers are a team that's trying to find their identity, and uh, I'm not sure they've found their identity for the 2021 season yet. Um, and uh, you know, if their method is going to be like it was the last couple of years, where they're in more spread looks and they're and they're motioning and they're trying to look for open receivers and short yardage, um, that's kind of maybe more the Big Ben style that uh, Sean is talking about. Um, if that if they're going to do that, they need to find a run game that complements that, I mean, you need to find um, Complementary vertical passes that go along with that as well, um, and I think that um, if they can establish and find that identity and get some consistently consistency from their receivers and their offensive line, I still think the Steelers will have success.
2: One I thing hope. that is that is not talked about, and I don't know why it's not talked about, is how cheap the Steelers are with their salaries for the assistant coaches. It's, it's been documented. They're, they're one of the lowest paid staffs in the NFL, okay? And you look at this. Their offensive line sucks last year. So what do they do? They fire the guy, and they promote within with his assistant. The, often, there's a, the offense didn't work last year. So what do they do? They fire the guy, and they promote the quarterback's coach from within. And I'm sorry. I'm ready to say it, Brian. Matt Canada sucks. He's not going to work in the NFL. This isn't the ACC anymore. These bubble screens on third and 23, they're just not going to cut it. They're just not. And it's so frustrating. I, you know, I love the Steelers. I love watching the Steelers. It's like must-see TV. It's literally the only thing I watch on a weekly basis. The rest of the year, I don't watch TV, which makes you wonder why in the world I pay two hundred thirty dollars a month for cable, but it's 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 sickening to watch now. It it really is what and to see Ben take the blame for this is just it, it it's really really bad. And they, they they keep saying oh his his arm's short he can't throw the ball down the field anymore. He doesn't have time to take shots. He 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 just doesn't and. I don't know how many times with Deontay Johnson in particular, and he didn't play this last week, but there were a couple instances on Chase Claypool where you, you can tell by the the reaction that it it was an option route and the quarterback and the the receiver just aren't the quarterback's throwing one way and receivers going the other. And again, these are young receivers Mm
0: -hmm.
2: being thrown the ball by a guy in his 19th year. I'm siding with the guy, in his 19th year, he knows where that ball is supposed to be.
0: Yep. I want to hit on something you just said. I, I know that you don't feel this way. You're repeating what what a lot of other people say. To say that Big Ben's arm is shot is the most ridiculous thing. Now, if you want to talk about his legs, I can I will agree. Oh, yeah. He he looks he looks a little slower. He looks like he's got ankle weights on. But I, I said this on social media, I've never seen a quarterback that's 39 years old that's throwing with the zip and the velocity and the intensity. He was throwing darts. He was throwing 15, 20-yard passes that were not elevating. I mean, they were literally darts. His arm strength is well intact. His arm strength looks like he can play for several more years. I don't, I don't know if his body is going to hold up. Um, but as, term, as far as his arm goes, he's, he's, he looks very, very healthy to me. Gentlemen, I, this was a fun episode, Coach. I appreciate having you on. This is the first time I've got to meet with you. The first time I've got to talk with you. Uh, just from getting to know you a little bit here, your success is certainly no accident. I want to do something a little bit different to end this episode. I want to. I want to. Let's peel back the. Uh, let's go to the locker room in Oakland. We've got a dynamic listening group. We've got parents. We've got a lot of kids. A lot of student athletes. <clears throat> we have a lot of coaches and a lot of admin for all the people that aren't part of that Oakland program. Let's focus on, let's focus specifically on our student athletes. Let's bring them in your locker room for a minute. <clears throat> and what do you have to say to all of our local athletes out there that are, they're trying to stay motivated. Uh, they want to get on the field. There's all these things going around uh, lots of different attitudes for lack of a different way to say it pressure, uh, opinions, negativity. I'm going to go ahead and hand the mic to you. What is your, what is your pregame speech for everyone?
1: Oh, what I would say to everybody is do the best you can to build relationships with the people you want to work with. Do the best you can to make deposits so that you can make withdrawals later. And if you're a player, um, be the best teammate that you can be. Talk to your teammates, talk to them and build them up when they've had a rough day. Ask them how things are going at home. Ask them you know, if they're struggling with anything, if you can help them, if, they, if, if you can give them an ear, um, that goes a long way to building a great locker room culture um, and be the first to step up and do something, be a, be a servant leader. And that's what I'd say to any kid is set an example by being the one that's going to be the first to clean up the locker room, pick up the trash, pick up the tape that's on the ground, pick up the water bottles, because if you're a senior and you do that, people will follow you and they will respect you because that's the type of thing that people look at and they gain respect for. And I think if you're that kid that, that goes above and beyond for your teammates, they're going to do the same for you on the field. If you're a coach, don't be afraid to love your kids, talk to them as much as you can. Um, You're, you're, you don't know what influence you have on them until it's too late to do something. And um, you know, those of us that have been around know this, that They'll come back and they'll tell you what, what you did. And I think we know based on the relationships that we had with our coaches that that rings true. Um, you have to you have to be there for them. And the, the cliched adage, they don't care what you know, they want to know you care. I think that means more than anything. Um, if you're an administrator, support your coaches. <laughs> they're out there on the front lines. They're busting for you. And I know that um, any coach that, that receives support from their administration is going to work doubly as hard because they know that they've, that they've got somebody's back. And uh, I think great administrators will will value the duality of academics and athletics and 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 support and, and show their coaches that they care and want their programs to succeed. And if you're a parent, be positive. Build your kids up at home. Don't bring negativity from the game out of the field. Support your son. Support your daughter. Do everything you can to show them that you care and that you're there for them no matter what. And um, if things don't go on their way on the field, just know that you know, you've got a stable thing going on at home that you can be there for each other and you'll be a family together. And I think that would be my advice to at least the four categories of people that might be listening.
0: Coach, that was absolutely awesome. You gave me goosebumps several times there. I really appreciate you joining us. Good luck the rest of the year. Uh, I'm sorry for what you've had to go through. And there's been a couple other programs out there as well. I'm sorry for those programs as well. Uh, but it was absolute pre- pleasure having you on. Thank you for the transparency of everything that's going on. Folks, this is Ohio Valley Athletics. Thank you for listening. Uh, the, no- the Ohio Valley is number one site for local sports talk. Also want to remind you to, for all of your supplement and nutrition needs, please go see our sponsor, Ohio Valley Nutrition in St. Clairsville. This is Ohio Valley Athletics. We'll talk to you next week.